Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear about it. Uh, or if you even got feedback about V6, we definitely want to hear about that too. So, you know, join us on IPv6 Buzz or shoot us uh, something in the in the uh, FU or follow up uh, on packetpushers.net, uh, and we'd love to love to love to hear from you, folks. Um, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffin and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be answering some listener questions because a bunch of those have come in for the last few episodes. So we wanted to jump in and address those. So. Hey guys, we actually have people listening because <laughs> we have we have some questions that came in. So um, I don't know. We, we can start with one that was actually from the last show talking about duplicate address detection, and um, and their comment was they thought that uh, Dad only worked with with Slack and and not for like static IPv6 configurations or DHCPv6. And I can understand how maybe that's confusing. So maybe we talk through that really quickly on duplicate address detection? Yeah, you know, it's one of those uh, perennial issues when we're talking about IPv6 with uh, with new audiences, folks that are new to it. I think there's a, a real, and this, I did this too when I first started with V6. It, it's really sort of hard to tease out the differences between uh, neighbor discovery and and auto addressing and just sort of think, lump everything into, into one big bucket, you know? And we do this in other technologies too. Like that's the classic one. The other classic other one with V6 is, that V6 exposes is the idea that, you know, NAT and stateful packet inspection are kind of the same thing. You know, they could, we're so used to having them bundled together in V4 that when we get to V6 and it's all of a sudden it's like, well, we're not going to do NAT anymore, uh, but we're still going to have stateful packet inspection. So it's kind of a similar scenario here where uh, you, you're, you, you have a tendency when you first start with V6 to, to lump it all together and to think, uh, you know, everything that's related to neighbor discovery is is tied to auto addressing. And, and of course, that's true. You can't you can't have auto addressing without the neighbor discovery function. But there are separate neighbor discovery functions like duplicate address detection that sort of sit at a level below where the auto addressing function is. I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? Or is that do you feel that's a fair characterization or what do you think? Yeah, because yeah, I, I think people are used to thinking about IPv4 and ARP uses broadcast so it's an independent sublayer of v4 and sits off to the side where router discovery neighbor discovery multicast listener discovery have dependencies on icmpv6 and link local communications right fe80s and ff02s you know yep yep well i think I, th I think it's also important to point out that duplicated address detection actually occurs for the link local addresses too, regardless of Slack, static, or DHCPv6, right? The moment you're setting up a link local address, it needs to make sure that it's unique on the wire mm -hmm. uh, for itself on that same shared layer two segment of whatever you're doing. Uh, I guess I guess even if you're the only host on the network, it's still going to do that, right? So, That's right. So mm -hmm. that function is just a it's a I guess a a fundamental core function of duplicate address detection is it's it's going to make sure that it's unique on the wire. And I think there's different failure scenarios for that. I mean, we I don't think we talked too much in detail about this in the last show, but there are different failure scenarios versus like IPv4. If you have a duplicate address in, in V4, right, the failure scenario is a little bit maybe different than V6 in terms of what's going on. Because uh, I think both hosts shut themselves down if they see, see things uh, on the wire at the same time mm -hmm. uh, versus like in V6, only one of them is going to voluntarily shut itself down, which is the second one of whoever comes on second, right? Is going to mm -hmm. 
say like, sorry, I can't do that. I can't use that address. And yeah. um, uh, so there are some operational behavior differences. And I think that, that may be some of the confusion around like the Slack, right? Versus static versus DHCP, right? So if you statically assign the same addresses on two hosts, you're still going to get duplicate address detection problems <laughs> no matter what you do. That's right. It's always going to be there. So yeah. So I think that I don't I don't know if that answers all of it, but I think I agree with Tom that it's very common to get these things confused or sort of I guess uh, I don't know if they're confused, but just the assumption that one's going to be tied to the other in terms of duplicate address detection really is something about the you know the address assignment method. Duplicate address detection happens all the time. Focusing on link local, I think, is kind of clarifying because that's obviously something that happens without Slack or DHCP v6 or, you know, that's not the auto addressing function that's giving you a global unicast address or, you know, potentially, a, we hope not a unique local address. We hope you're not configuring that. But, you know, you could get you could certainly get any of those other address classes. Link local is happening before all of that, right. as, you, as you mentioned before, Ed. So. It's it's basic address hygiene to have this DAD process running uh, running with link local, and so if you focus on that, you can sort of see you know DAD is something that's happening with all of the addresses that are configured, uh, IPv6 addresses that are configured, whether they're automatically configured with link local, which again is not part of Slack and not part of DHCP/v6 uh, directly. It's a dependency, but not you know not something that uh, that so it's right. It's, if yeah. it's in that weird privacy EUI sixty four <laughs> like lower sixty four assignment portion uh, for what's happening there, which also yeah. gets confused with Slack and exactly <laughs> DCP yeah, exactly. and static. Yeah, I'd like to dig into this a little bit. So when your host first boots up, it assigns its interface a link local address, but before it can use that to send its first IPv6 packet, which is probably a router solicitation, right. it needs to check that it's okay, that it's it's safe to use and no one else is using that. So it does, it sends out a DAD request and in that, that solicited node multicast group address, it uses the last 24 bits of mm -hmm. that FE80 link local address just to make sure no one else has that link local address. Yep. So it's safe, you send your RS, you get your RA and it sends you a prefix. And let's say your host is doing, and that RA is, says do Slack. And so then your computer copies the interface identifier that you used for the link local down to then append it to the end of the IPv6 prefix that you got from the router saying do mm -hmm. Slack. And so the, the interface identifier is the same between your link local and your global address. Right. So then you're like, well, why would I need to do dad again? Because I know that no one else is listening on those twenty, the last twenty-four bits of the right. But they were actually node multicast group address. But it may still check. It'll still uh, check, and the reason why is because it includes the full address and for do you have a conflict or not. So yeah, so you won't yeah. get a response back if it doesn't conflict for the link local. Mm -hmm. But if you had the same global unicast, yes, you, you would get a response back. In which yeah. case. You would be in. You would be in. You go to. You go to to dad jail. <laughs> yep, yeah, dad jail. And then, uh, if you did DHCP v six instead, then right. certainly you would get a randomized interface identifier from the DHCP v six server as part of your lease. And then the last wow. twenty four bits of that address interface identifier would be different, and so you'd have to do dad on that because that could be different. Right. And the interface identifier you used as your link local when you first did dad when you booted up. So you right. have to check again. 
with DHCPv6. Well, and as, as we mentioned, it may not be as random as you think from your DHCPv6 mm -hmm. server. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> right. Could be next available, yeah. Next available, it could just be yeah. counting, so, yeah. you know. I, you know, and I, I, we're like, I'm like a broken record on this, but, but everything that we're describing, uh, it, it's really, if you're, if you're new to V6, that the opportunity is to, you know, get Wireshark fired up and take a, take a listen on the wire where you have V6 enabled and, and just see this, these processes taking place, just looking at packet captures and, and, and just getting a, getting, starting to get a feel for it. Um, that way is probably for me, that was like the, the, the thing that made the biggest difference, uh, you know, reading about neighbor discovery, reading the RFCs or, you know, reading uh, Rick Graziani's book. There's a lot of great information, uh, mm -hmm. but, you know, even in that book, he's, he's showing you like packet captures. It's really, it's really the way to go to sort of give, give yourself that baseline. Yeah. Jeff Carroll has yeah. some really good stuff online. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 I guess you could fire up Wireshark, reset your interface, down it, up it, mm -hmm. and then see how the startup process works. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or if you're if you're running EvenG, you could just right click and get the packet uh -huh. capture directly from there too. So, uh -huh. so that could, that that could be a good option for those that are doing lab scenarios in, in Eve. It definitely works the same way. So it's pretty cool. All mm -hmm. right. Well, there there that was the first one was was all about dad. So we're uh, <laughs> so we had a rough rough weekend for uh, for dad jokes. There you go. Um, <laughs> so we had another question in regards to privacy in IPv6. Um, I guess there's been, I've seen a little bit on Twitter and, and a few other locations where people have been talking about some, some recent videos of some folks talking about IPv6 and privacy and, and, uh, I haven't bothered watching this yet myself. Uh, I don't know if I want to bother, but, <laughs> but, but there were some comment sections in the video, I guess that were talking about, you know, never do IPv6 cause you know, it's, it's all these horrible things. And I think this is probably more circa IPv6 2012, 20. 15 before stuff really started going in on the on, on the privacy support and randomizing the lower 64 for privacy extensions and random addresses and temporary addresses and all the other sorts of things that are in place. So I, I guess I guess what's the current situation around privacy and IPv6 and what's the feeling about that versus maybe you know IPv4 plus NAT to hide everything that you're doing, um, you know, which people sort of think is is the current, I don't know if it's a gold standard, but it's a standard. Uh, around privacy and what are you guys thoughts around that i mean everyone's tracking everything with cookies in html browsers anyway so where do you worry about <laughs> stop yeah. tracking you i'd say randomizing the interface identifier with either privacy or temporary or stable slack or a, a randomized dhcpv6 mm -hmm. you know interface identifier anything you can do to to do to make it not colon colon two <laughs> is, is good you know it's it's right. better than nothing but the there are still issues related to privacy um so not everything inside your home let's say uses privacy or temporary addresses you could have one iot device in your house still doing eui 64 Right, And so there was a paper written earlier this year, uh, One Bad Apple Can Spoil Your IPv6 Privacy. You can search for that. It's a, a associate, uh, Association of Computing Machinery, SIGCOM, you know, a paper that talks about if, if a CDN is tracking um, devices from inside your home, 
then you would have privacy addresses seen from your slash 64 prefix that's been assigned by your provider, as well as the same prefix appended or prepended to devices in your house that could be using EUI 64. And those right. two could be the, the slash 64 could be uh, correlated, correlated to each other. And so yeah. I, I see there are still are some privacy concerns. Legacy devices still could use EUI 64 and be on the same network with other devices that have random, seemingly randomized interface right. identifiers. And the, and the interesting part is is that MPT v6 doesn't save you from this. Even if you could change the prefix from one side to the other, the lower 64 stays the same in MPT v6, which sort of necessitates that if you want to hide that stuff, you need to get sort of an, a NAT66 solution going uh, across that you know home provider CPE or whatever else is is doing the work. If you have something that's doing UI 64 and you want it to show up as something else. Um, which is possible to do in certain platforms. Uh, it's, uh, you know, as with all things, it's it's vendor specific, but it is possible to sort of hide things that way if you wanted to. Um, I don't know if that's, I don't, I don't think I have aware of any CPE device that's doing that by default for any of the supported, you know, at least home, home device types. I don't think that's something that's you're going to see common out there. I think they're sort of thinking that the updates need to happen for those IoT related devices to get them to move away from EUI 64 and into the privacy and temporary address space. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's been a standard for quite a while now. I, I, and all the major operating systems are pretty much moved there, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I see that as something that's pretty legacy. Um, I don't know. Do, do we feel like it's actually a, a concern over the long haul in terms of privacy um, versus maybe where V4 sits? I feel like V4. And V4, just by design, is probably putting a lot more things behind a singular address than, than maybe a set of addresses or, or a prefix the way V6 would. I don't know if that's good or bad in terms of differences for architecture and, and privacy. I feel like they're tracking you in so many other ways now that mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm concerned about my address as much as I am other things. But... Um, but I, I guess yeah. it's I guess it's one of those things where uh, your mileage may vary in terms of what your con principal concerns are in regards to privacy. Anyway, yeah, it's it's worth knowing what's connected in your home. Yes, it's worth I would agree with uh, doing a little bit of link local reconnaissance inside your home and knowing what devices are using what types of addresses. Yeah, uh, like, like your printer is probably your printer is yeah. probably doing UI sixty four or something like that. So. Yeah, it could, uh, and and decide, you know, do I care if someone knows about the address of my vacuum, <laughs> or or my <laughs> TV, or my microwave, or or my or your printer, box, like how yeah, how, ex how exploitable is that, and do, are you allowing traffic to come inbound to connect to those resources, or is it only going outbound, right? But so if it's an intercom or uh, a security camera then I'd care a little more. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but I definitely think, you know, it sounds like the video is probably more based off of slightly older interpretations about where V6 is at um, versus maybe current. So I don't know. I, 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 think, um, I think the privacy for V4, uh, V4 and NAT is, is, probably comparable to where things are with V6 today with a few 
with as long as you're staying relatively current and knowledgeable and you can still have plenty of holes in your ipv4 network <laughs> right? yeah. just yeah. as much as you can with v6 i think you can make all the same sort of mistakes if you don't if you're not yeah. thinking about it because we see systems that could rapidly change their mac address to provide mm -hmm. extra privacy when you're in the mm -hmm. coffee shop or something like that and that right. changes the mac regard and that's underlying uh v4 or v6 yeah uh, like the I iphones do that i think for the mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah iPhones, do. and you can do that in Windows settings Windows. as well. Yep. Um, yeah, and most operating systems are doing temporary addresses, which change periodically. So if someone does happen to get your address, yeah, it's, eight hours it's later. only valid for a time, a period yep. of time. And tomorrow after you reboot your machine or hibernate or sleep or open the lid again, you have a yep. different link local address. I mean, a different uh, interface identifier. And... Um, yeah, and even systems that do stable Slack are seemingly random. Yeah. Even though it's stable on that on that LAN, it's still seemingly random. Yeah, and it'll change if you move to a different LAN, for instance. Mm -hmm. So if you move from work to home, it's going to change, but it'll stay stable for that duration that you're on that particular mm -hmm. network. So if you rejoin work again, you're going to come back up with that, that same one. Yeah, mm -hmm. very cool. All right. Well, I feel, I feel like we answered that one or at least gave a checkbox to it. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, these um, are great questions by the way I, mean, I love these yeah it's really good to get them and then there was one from uh i guess for tom because uh the the reader had uh, posted that they read tom's blog about the dns64 and nat64 um but uh their their comment was that it didn't address any of the 426 scenarios so you're trying to get from ipv4 to ipv6 and so i guess um, they were asking you know what do you need to do to make that actually sort of work and is server load balancer 4.6 the solution for home and office and really couldn't find a lot of information about that so i don't know let's talk about the scenario like the the nirvana scenario we're all on we're all on you know uh we're, we're all like publishing out v6 only and v6 only is the wave wave of the future and you're stuck on this v4 thing uh what do you do <laughs> to talk to all the v6 stuff i don't know if we're there yet but hey we can talk about the scenario at least uh, I don't know, Tom, we want to lead us off on that one. Yeah, well, it's funny because that's like you talk about SLB 4.6 and that's, uh, you know, that that was sort of the the original canonical uh, translation technology, you know, way back in the early days of IPv6 um, to, to really get around the limitations of the fact that V6 just really wasn't plumbed anywhere in most networks. But if you wanted to, you know, test it out and get it running, that was that was the way to go. Um, I mean, as far as the DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4 piece and and what the, what that solution is designed to do. And, you know, I, I tend to think of it architecturally as a, as a very uh, constrained solution that, you know, works very specifically in certain circumstances where the network architecture makes it the best solution. Um, you know, but it certainly isn't sort of I, I've never sort of conceived of it as a one size fits all or, or that it, you know, implies a number of other of NAT type solutions. And so I think the blog kind of reflects that and, and doesn't doesn't check all those other boxes because we certainly have like this plethora of other NAT uh, tech translation tech that we could employ depending on what the architecture looks like. But then of that, that, of course, needs to be driven by what you know, what applications you're trying to access, where they live, you know, what what your DNS infrastructure and namespace looks like or collection of namespaces, as is the case with many, you know, contemporary networks and larger networks. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like it, <laughs> it depends. Right. I mean, that 
the, the classic, <laughs> classic answer. <laughs> the classic, classic consulting. Yeah. Classic consulting answers. Uh, it depends. Yeah. I, I think SLB, you know, well, server load balancers in general are super flexible tools. I don't know if I would list them as a home office tool. Um, no, which is, uh-huh. which is, I, I would definitely say it's not in that category. I would certainly expect commercial and enterprise and, and, and service providers and federal government and, and cloud providers and everyone else to be making use of server load balancers or application delivery controllers or whatever you want to call yours, <laughs> your flavor of, 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 um, of load balancing. I think, you know, they give you the ultimate flexibility and if they're dual stack, they can talk in any direction that you need them to, which means you can do six to six, you could do four to six, you could do six to four, you could do four to four, obviously, you can do four to four to four to four to four to four to four, four, to four. <laughs> however many fours you need a low balance because of because of that. And often uh, they have the capability to, 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 to glue NAT in at the same time if you needed it there, but I don't, I, I don't see that. I see this strictly as a translation technology thing yeah. and not a network, um, you know, not a necessarily a, a network related thing. This is trying to get four traffic to a six service. And well, I, well, we're being kind of sloppy with the terminology too, right? Where yeah, we can yeah, call yeah. it SLB because it's not really the load balancing function isn't really the key here because it, you, right. know, you know, yeah. there's not the load. Agree. Yeah. It's really what we're really talking about is a proxy. Yeah, um, it, it's proxy for six, um, you know, because you're the, the volume of traffic that you're dealing with doesn't even require any sort of quote unquote load balancing. Um, and, and maybe and, you know, you could say that's really a distinction without a difference. But if you're searching for <laughs> solutions and you're looking up, you know, server load balancer or SLB for six, um, you know, then there is that that larger architectural issue of scale that you're potentially trying to to address. And the whole reason that you'd be looking for an SLB solution versus a proxy between four and six. And so maybe there are additional. Like HA, yeah, HA proxy could f- probably function just fine. You can yeah, run that on a little yeah, jewel exactly. device and yeah. be good to go yeah. uh, for stuff like that, if that's something you want to build. So, yeah. do, you know, when you're doing a search for a solution, don't limit yourself to what you see for SLB 4.6. You may want to look up, you know, the proxy, use the, the, the critical term of proxy to sort of find some additional solution sets that might work for whatever your particular case is. Yeah, because the proxy implies it's it's stateful, and mm-hmm. many load balancers or application delivery controllers are set up statically. I have this mm-hmm. V4 VIP, and I have a V6 only you know backend server, and right. I want to allow that V6 only thing in the V6 only data center to be still accessible to the legacy you know V4 clients out there. So I set up. That I don't know why six. you would want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just dual stack uh, those clients, man. <laughs> well, LinkedIn and Facebook do exactly that, right? They have a V6 only data center, but they still yep. need to expose those services to legacy V4 devices. Um, and so, um, so it's often done with manual configuration or maybe, a, you know, so it's a static mapping and it's right. also a stateful mapping. It's a stateful proxy. But when you try and take a V4 network and make it accessible to the whole V6 internet, that's not really, really feasible. Because with, with DNS 6.4, the first part of you know DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4 is the DNS 6.4, which does that address synthesis. And we can right. stick a V4 address inside of a V6 address to then hand that V6 only client a quad A to make it think that the, the v4 legacy website is accessible over ipv6 then the communications goes through the nat 64 right well when you have like a a nat 46 like that 
how do we take the entire IPv6 internet and and trick it into a into using an A record and <laughs> hand it to that V4 device to say, oh, the entire IPv6 internet that you can't access because you're only using IPv4 is somehow, you know, we bind it to a V4 address or something. And so, and then hand the V4 client an A record to then, then it goes through a, a NAT I'm sure. or six to then trick it. So <laughs> you need a, some DNS trickery if you wanted to do DNS for six, and then you yes. needed a NAT for six to unravel that trickery to then somehow allow a V4 device to get to V6 services on the internet. It's, it's not trivial. Well, you know, stuffing those 128 bits into 32 <laughs> bits becomes the core fundamental problem. I think we're <laughs> identifying 96 Russian. miscellaneous bits yeah. of <laughs> the you've crossed the event horizon of IPv4 at that point. You just you don't get that information back. Yeah, packet, packets are lost in the void. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you solve that particular problem now for static content like what we're talking about fixed IPs. I, I see this as like, you know, you're providing a web server, you're providing some sort of content uh, with a, with a, you know, whatever, it, whatever you're providing on, on the internet. And it's got a well-known V6 address. You could tie a well-known V4 address to the, to that yeah. exact same yeah. resource and use a sort of load balancer to do that. I just don't see this solving the same problem that DNS64 NAT64 solves, which is the unknown services that are v4 only that you're trying to access from a v6 standpoint you don't need to know that in advance you can just mm -hmm. use dns64 nat64 to get to those resources that is impossible in the reverse mm -hmm. as i can tell there's no dynamic way for you to discover all v6 related resources <laughs> and have it mapped to a v4 that allows you to talk that way you might be able to do some sort of namespace application proxy but then at that point you, I, yeah you might or just have dual a stack tool. Yeah, or have a yeah. pool of V4 addresses that you're kind of doing this dynamic mapping yes. for a short period of time. Or yes. you dust off those Lempel Ziv compression algorithms <laughs> from way back then. I'm gonna compress 128 bits into 32. Yeah. But to um, give it to give a hash basically and, and yeah. the unique hash value becomes the determining matching sequence for for how it glues those things together. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're and when you're searching for NAT46 solutions, you'll often find them they're stateless. And they're usually a one-to-one -one mapping. Right. And I've configured NAT46 on firewalls and routers in the past, but it's it's stateless and it's usually a one-to-one -one mapping. Yeah. You're, you need to get to a website and yes. a resource that you control that you're already probably running a server. Hopefully you're running a server load balancer in it for high availability or whatever else that you need to do for that anyway. Mm -hmm. And you're just introducing you know, a V4 address in front of that V6 resource in order for the V4 folks to be able to get access to it. And that's how I would see solving that problem. Uh, I don't, you know, I guess it's a little weird from a scenario basis of like home or office. I see this much more as like you run this in public cloud or an enterprise would run this. Yeah, uh, the, the scale, the scale in the home office setting just isn't there to, you know, mm -hmm. to justify the use of that solution. Mm -hmm. The DNS64, NAT64, it's really for a larger scale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you can get it working with a little... HA proxy setup on on a Linux host or something, you know, it, it, it will work. I mean, it mm -hmm. 100% will work. So, but I, I don't know if that's the common scenario set that I would that I would come up with. All right, we covered a lot, didn't we? I think we covered what the dad issues. Yeah, well, you always have dad issues, and then <laughs> privacy, privacy, and then uh, talking about server load balancing four to six, or at least getting yeah. it from 
IPv4 to IPv6. Thanks everyone so much for the questions. Really, yeah, really, these are awesome. Yeah, good questions. Really appreciate it. It's, it's good stuff. And, uh, you know, keep it coming. Hopefully we'll have some more interesting topics that's to talk about. Maybe we'll talk about some uh, some newer design stuff around uh, maybe EVPN and VXLAN and IPv6 only. Get, get the audience all wound up on that. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> well, unlike well, V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. Uh, you can reach the IPv6 Buzz uh, podcast on Twitter. It's at IPv6 Buzz. And you can hit up uh, uh, Scott and Ed. We're at Scott Hogue and at E. Horley. And Tom is on LinkedIn. So you can hit him on LinkedIn at uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Tom Coffeen. And uh, thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Ditu Cloud, and the, the Network Break Podcast. And plus, you know, they get just tons of great technical content over at packetbushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.